we can do. All right, so for tonight, we're going to be studying the betrayal of Jesus Christ. This is number 11 in the workbook. Um, so I, I don't know. I just kind of have uh, been intrigued going uh, top to bottom uh, as they come up in the book and, and kind of seeing where the discussion heads. But um, that, that definition there, I, I found very interesting as we're diving in. <clears throat> it says to betray is to deliver or expose to an enemy by treachery or disloyalty, to be unfaithful in guarding, maintaining, or fulfilling, to betray a trust, to disappoint the hopes or expectations of, be disloyal to, to reveal or disclose in violation of confidence. And anyway, I, I just found some of those little... Uh, definitions or aspects of the definition uh very interesting in light of um all of these different scriptures and kind of plugging each of those in there um when we talk about uh jesus's betrayal <clears throat> so let's head over to the the psalms 22 16 uh this one is is pretty dang interesting on on bible hub uh, i was looking this one up yeah, so Psalms 22.16 is best understood in its full context. So, uh, you know, if you wanted to, to really do a deep study on it, um, you'd pretty much read all of Psalms 20, 21, and 22 uh, to get the, the full context of how David is um, projecting forward and uh, uh, providing this messianic psalm. <clears throat> but... Um, found this, is, this is a really interesting uh, verse out of the whole context to be pulling out for the, the betrayal, I thought. And so it says that, <clears throat> um, for dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked having closed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. And so looking at some of the different translations that have um, been made, so dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me. Um, I like the, the New Living Translation. Uh, typically, I'm not a huge fan of that one, but uh, this one uh, kind of gives that uh, interesting nuance there. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Um, here we have a company of evildoers, a band of evil men, assembly of wicked. Um, it kind of translates in, in lots of different ways. <clears throat> Sorry, I've got this like fog in my throat. <laughs> but anyway, um, I found this very interesting as we were looking at the transliteration here. So for dogs, and you know, just kind of looking at dogs, in the Hebrew, that, that word can mean a dog or it can mean a male prostitute as well, which I was like, what? How, how are those equal? <laughs> and so uh, kind of taking a, a look at uh, Caleb, in the, the Hebrew, and looking how it's used, that many times uh, male prostitutes are uh, referred to as dogs. I don't, I don't know if it's really to that context here in Psalms, um, but uh, the fact that he is pointing out that dogs have compassed me. And um, scrolling up here, I found uh, some of this commentary uh, really helpful. So this is from Ellicott's commentary for English readers. So dogs, uh, 
if you're taking a literal translation from the Hebrew, um, it's kind of translated as barkers as well. And for scavenger wild dogs of the East, um, it also can be rendered as hunting dogs. The assembly of the wicked <clears throat> denotes the fictitious or uh, facetious nature of the attacks on the sufferer. His enemies have combined as savage animals to hunt in packs. So these dogs um, are are always together, hunting in packs. They're never just found alone uh, because they don't have strength unless they're in numbers um, in order to uh, to do this. And so, you know, reading from our context here of Psalms, for dogs surround me, a band of evil men encircles me. Um, it, it took a whole gang of people, right? Uh, a whole assembly of, of wicked to uh, to come together against Christ. And, and so the betrayal wasn't just one single person. It wasn't just uh, Judas Iscariot. But we're talking betrayal on multiple fronts, um, just as dogs compass about their prey to taunt and torment. Um, but um, anyway, I thought it gave a, a little bit interesting um, context to that, that Psalms entry there. Um, and then uh, taking a look over at uh, Psalms 41.9, uh, this one's also kind of interesting. And I'm basically just kind of talking about Psalms. We'll open it up. <laughs> I don't want to be the only one talking tonight, but. Um, <clears throat> so Psalms 41.9 in the King James. Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. So kind of taking a look at some of these other uh, versions. So even my close friend. Sometimes it's referred to as best friend, which is an interesting uh, take on it. The one I trusted completely. So that New Living Translation really puts a lot of emphasis on uh, Judas. But um, one who shared my bread, the one who shared my food, um, etc., uh, has turned against me. Um, let's take a look, <clears throat> a look at the, the transliteration down here. So my close friend and um, a man as an individual. So this one is kind of in contrast to the previous psalm where we're talking about a pack. This one is a betrayal of an uh, intimate individual whom I trusted uh, to be confident and sure in. Uh, to eat uh, of the bread. And um, this lifted up his heel against me. found this interesting. So has lifted up can also be grown up or become great. Um, so uh, kind of becoming a friend, but um, becoming the best friend in order to become the absolute worst enemy. Kind of uh, equal but opposite. Uh, metaphor there. I found that interesting. Um, so he lifted up his heel, which can also be translated as, as footprint or hind part, um, something that is behind, and to, to rise it up against him. But yeah, I, anyway, I, I found those psalms very um, intriguing, 
how David knew so intimately what Christ would be going through with a betrayal. Uh, I don't know when, when the prophets before Christ are, are prophesying forward, I never really put that uh, or understood it, I guess. I never understood it that they um, seen the, the full betrayal and, and felt the full weight of um, that for Christ, uh, both with the assembly of the wicked, but also on an individual level with, with Judas. So anyway, I thought that was really interesting. Does anybody else have any uh, thoughts or comments on, on any of these entries that they'd like to talk about? I thought kind of the temple language in Psalms 41, nine was interesting. Like you shall have power to bruise his heel. Uh -huh. I thought kind of the tie with that was just neat. Yeah. I, I find it so interesting. I'm seeing a lot of the kind of polar ends of things, right? Where um, the, the good equals the bad. And, and often there's very similar language to, uh, to, to mirror the sides. Um, I think it was in here somewhere, wasn't it, Mom, that I was talking about that as well, in one of these verses where, um, where Christ is, oh yeah, 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 um, <laughs> finding it, but anyway, where, uh, Judas is, is betraying him with a kiss right outside of Gethsemane, right, and, like, of course Christ knows what he's doing, but he still asks the question, um, which one is that? I've got like a lot of notes on <laughs> just a second. Oh, the Luke twenty two forty seven. 47. Um, Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the son of man with a kiss? So like, like he had just done it. Like, of course he knew what was happening. So, so what's the point of the question? But um, also like in uh, uh, temple imagery there with like Adam, like he knew that Adam had fallen and partaken of the fruit, but he's still asking the question to like verify for an answer, uh, kind of having the uh, trespasser answer for their transgression kind of a thing, or at least admit to it kind of. Um, and so I found that uh, it, kind of an interesting parallel there. Uh, why even ask Judas that question if you already know the answer? Um, but it seems to be uh, somewhat of a a test or a opportunity to to admit admit guilt. Yeah. <clears throat> Anything else? So, question. Um, I know. <laughs> and, and speaking to lots of different people, it seems like everybody has a different take on this, but what is the, the symbolism or the importance of the 30 pieces of silver? So what have you heard? What kind of scriptures and references have you um, ever come up with with that? Like, why is that an important part of the story? So I've heard that, um, that 30 pieces of silver, um, is like an equivalent to to uh, purchasing a slave uh, back in the day, but I don't necessarily know that I have like a good reference for that. I don't know if that's just a tradition that's been kind of floated around or anything, but um, yeah. Has, has anybody else heard anything about uh, silver or uh, specifically 30 pieces? 
I'm going to look up on the internet, like the symbolism for 30, kind of see what that might have. I always like going to biblestudy.org <clears throat> for any of the, the numbers. So like the meaning of the number 30, part of the meaning of the number 30 from it symbolizing dedication to a particular task or calling. Aaronic priests were initially dedicated to serving at least 30 years. God likely chose 30 because it was when a person reached both physical and mental maturity and could therefore handle major responsibilities. I'm, I'm trying to like pull all of these into the, the 30 pieces of silver. Like maybe that that Judas was uh, accountable for his own actions. He had enough mental maturity to handle the, the consequences of said betrayal. I don't know. Uh, John the Baptist began his ministry at age 30. Likewise, Christ. Um, the number can also represent the sacrificial blood of Jesus as he was betrayed by Judas for 30 pieces, 30 silver coins. This act was a fulfillment of prophecy from Zechariah, which I think we'll, yeah, that's the one we're looking at here. Um, when Judas flung the blood money, he was paid back into the temple the priest did not accept it as an offering but rather decided to buy a potter's field with it though they were not aware of it what they did was also fulfilling prophecy um let's see appearances of the number 30 30 copies of the psalms have been identified interesting um the patriarchs Salah and Peleg and Sarug had their first sons at the age of 30. There, you missed the one there where Jesus is in 30 AD suffered and shed his precious blood. Oh, I was like, I skipped over the, the important part here and I was like, okay, so... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he did that. <laughs> but the, the year, 30 AD. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Wikipedia says under symbolism, in contrast to the woman with the alabaster jar of perfume, the priests were making clear their contempt for Jesus with the minimal price they placed on his life. Today, well, yeah, that was it. So it was a, a very low cost. Yeah, it's like minimal, you know, seems like. Uh-huh. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, seems to be quite a few little things for, for 30, but uh, but that makes the, the most sense of um, minimal cost. Uh, just another form of betrayal, you know, uh, trying to, to really... <clears throat> hit deep how worthless somebody is how uh trying to base them down uh, to nothing but yeah so kind of going back to the definition for a second um a question that i would pose is so all of these betrayal definitions here 
um, kind of imply that a covenant was made. Um, so when we're guarding, maintaining, or fulfilling something, um, it seems like we need to have first promised to guard or to maintain or fulfill any certain thing before we can actually betray it. Um, you know, like if we are talking about uh, marriage or, or something, right? Um, a betrayal of marriage, there's there's a covenant, an expectation that is had uh, to, to protect and, and serve and, and things, but uh, a betrayal um, uh, flies in, in face of, of that covenant. So like, I, I, I guess my question is, do you think that betrayal requires a a covenant or a promise or an expectation <clears throat> ahead of it? Or can someone simply just betray uh, a random Joe kind of a thing? It, it kind of seems like the betrayal is the the equal but opposite uh, form of the the covenant that, that might be entered into. I'd like to go back to um, Psalms 41.9, if mm -hmm. we could for a minute. Yeah. Um, that word, um, yay, mine own familiar friend. And out of familiar, it seems like, like family. And I have some scriptures here I just kind of want to. Uh, share and some thoughts by other um, apostles, modern day apostles and stuff too. But to start out with, um, I want to talk about, you know, you've mentioned about the alabaster jar and the anointing that Mary did. And uh, in my notes, I've got in John's record, of the event recorded in Mark 14, 3, 9, John identified the woman who anointed Jesus as Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And so this occasion happened um, just before a Christ uh, triumphal entry. I think it was the night before. I might be wrong on that, but it was it really close to that, either Saturday or Sunday before the triumphal entry, which was on Monday, leading up to his um, atonement and stuff that, that week. Well, anyway, I've got this chart and it's got the scriptures that go along with it, but it's like, so, so this is the occasion where she anoints Jesus's feet. And we hear about this all the time. And it, under whose house, it says, Simon the Pharisee's house, house of Simon the leper. Luke uh, mentions it as Simon the Pharisee's house. Matthew uh, calls it the house of Simon the leper. And Mark uh, says the house of Simon the leper. And John says, Martha served, but Lazarus sat at the table. Judas, and he, she's, John says, Judas Iscariot is Simon's son. So here we've got Judas being really like a, 
there's Mary and Martha and Lazarus and and Judas that are all siblings of um, Simon the Pharisee in the house there. That's what, whose house they were. And it was Judas that um, complained. Uh, why are you, mm -hmm. you know, letting her do get that, you know? But I also wanted to read this other thing here, just a second. And this is from some modern apostles, and I'll read their names. Some of them are presidents of the church. But um, it says, this is by... There's these things here that are really interesting. But anyway, I wanted to see <laughs> this one first. <laughs> but anyway, this is uh, Joseph F. Smith that writes. He taught this at a um, Sabbath school conference. And he spoke on the marriage of at, in Cana of Galilee, the, you know, where he changed the water into wine. And Joseph F. Smith taught, he taught that Mary and her sister Martha were the brides at that. And he referred to Luke and got the chapter, the verses here if you're interested in that. And the prophet Joseph Smith spake upon these passages to show that Mary and Martha manifested a much closer relationship than merely believers. The prophet Wilfred Woodruff, um, let's see. I don't know where I put that one. Uh, he, he, I had a thing on him too, but I'd have to find it. But anyway, and then uh, in the Brigham Young's uh, Journal of Discourses, he said the bridal feast at Canaan of Galilee, where Jesus turned the water into wine, was the occasion of one of his own marriages. And Orson Hyde says, it will be borne in mind that upon once upon a time there was a marriage in Canaan of Galilee, and on careful reading of that transact, transaction, it will be discovered that no less person than Jesus Christ was married on that occasion. And then we got like the same with the Heber C. Kimball and stuff too. But anyway, so if Jesus is married to this Mary, um, that makes Jesus uh, a brother-in-law to Jesus, you know, which we really don't talk about, but the earlier um, apostles talked about that a lot, but we don't talk about that anymore. And I just don't hear about that stuff, but I've got lots of references from different things. And I also have, um, he had other marriages too. He, in fact, that was one of the reasons that, and they 
were persecuted and stuff and wanted to kill him and stuff because he had so many wives and stuff. Mm -hmm. But anyway, that's all other stuff. But I just wanted to point out about that. If, if Judas is related here and, and closely, that just really kind of puts a different light on the whole story, you know, like, you know, he's like, it makes the betrayal even more, I don't know what to say, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's very interesting to, to think about. So, you know, we have uh, quite a few different references from those early uh, church prophets and, and apostles and, and things. Uh, you know, there's, there's many people that have uh, tried to discount lots of those different things. But uh, regardless, if, if we're looking at that, uh, the scriptures definitely uh, put the, the pieces together that uh, Judas Iscariot um, and uh, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, they're all siblings uh, there with Simon the leper as their father. Um, but uh, if if he was married to, to Mary and Martha and that Judas is uh, a brother-in-law, wow, that, <laughs> the, the betrayal uh, runs deep there, right? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, like like Psalm 41, 9 says, yeah, my own familiar friend, like family, like my own, <laughs> basically, uh, flesh and blood, in whom I have trusted, did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. Um, and and again, lifted up the heel against me um, in, in contrast to that um, uh, alabaster jar an anointing uh, episode there. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, Dad. If you raise your hand, you got talk. <laughs> Where did he go? Can you hear me? There you go. Okay. Uh, what you were just talking about of uh, Judas Iscariot being related to Christ. If you look at that thing that you read just a little bit ago uh, from the New Living Translation, where it says, even my best friend, the one I trusted completely, mm -hmm. that would put it, you know, as what kind of youth uh, would be, you know, that would fit in there right with what you just got done saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely a possibility. You know, I, I typically don't throw that out there because many people have very strong yeah. opinions about yeah. <laughs> things. I thought, I thought with the group that's on here. Uh -huh. all, yeah, you know. it, it, it's very interesting to to think about and ponder. But um, there was a couple of the, uh, I, I don't know, I shouldn't like quote it unless I have the references, but um, that, that say that uh, Christ and uh, Joseph Smith were killed for the very same thing. They were killed for polygamy. Um, that that was what uh, eventually brought the mobs against them kind of thing. Take it for what it's worth. Who knows? But, I mean, it is my firm belief that he was indeed married. I, I, there's, like, so many proofs to that. Uh, whether he was polygamous, I don't know. But uh, it, it certainly seems to point in that direction. But another thing with the 
anointing that Mary was doing, she was anointing him uh, for his burial. Mm -hmm. Which is a wifely duty, right? It is. It's a wifely duty. She's not just some some person that's anointing. That's, mm -hmm. it would, it's too intimate. Yeah, and, and I don't say duty in a, a negative context there. Like a, uh, a wifely right or... Mm -hmm. um, ordinance rather yeah it is it's, it's a very it's, high it's like the second anointing mm -hmm. yeah in fact that is what she was doing um so yeah uh, i i find it all very um, interesting kind of taking a look at these two strains of, of betrayal right we have groups of people betraying and then we have like very individual betrayals um here with with judas etc and it it looks like um throughout these that judas which one was it oh i, I think the matthew 26 one um is that the one where he tries to get the money back to them Oh, yeah. And so much. Anyway, that he's returning it, like feeling remorse, like, oh no, what have I done? Um, but yet uh the the group betrayal, the the pack of wolves, the or dogs rather, um, had already assembled and, and were carrying out their thing. It couldn't uh be turned back there. Um let's see. What else we got? Going back on what you were saying about betrayal and covenants in Matthew 26, the first one, it actually says that they covenanted with him for 30 pieces of silver. So it actually uses that language. <laughs> How did I miss that? So which one is that, Chelsea? It's the first Matthew 26, Matthew 26, 1 2 and 14 through 16. It's right there at the end. Says, and they covenanted with him for 30 pieces of silver. And from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. Mm -hmm. So the opportunity didn't just come to him, he actually sought it out. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of helping answer my question before with the, the whole Kona thing. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. Yes. And we also have that, you know, I was surprised to see the covenant, you know that they covenanted with him. But mm -hmm. also some place that talking about the token, the kiss as a yeah. token. Where was that? So in the Mark 14 version, it talks about the token. Um, and also the, the Luke 22, it doesn't say token, but uh, they're very much uh, helping display uh, what the token is. And so it's, I think it's very interesting to to use that kind of phrase or or term, right? Because we have yeah. tokens and signs of covenants. Like covenants have those things, right? And so when it's saying that there was a covenant for him for 30 pieces of silver, we're talking about like secret combinations, things made in secret for betrayal. And uh, there's tokens and, and names and actions that go along with that. But my question was, um, I asked Cameron this, is 
we were studying this. Like, did the apostles, did, had they, did they have their temple endowment and stuff and have the name signs and tokens and stuff? I, it's, it's interesting, this language that we're hearing. It's covenant, making covenants and, and the tokens and stuff. Are they just kind of counterfeiting the, the real thing, you know? Satan always you mean like the the pharisees and sadducees or, or like yeah well and the scribes and the priests and stuff but, but I... they probably don't have that yet but anyway I, that that's just kind of temple language you know tokens and covenants mm -hmm. and stuff but satan always gets in there and counterfeits mm -hmm. so i just and i don't know it's interesting mm -hmm. I found it interesting that like all of those entries on that page there, the Matthew 27 down through Mark 14. Um, well, the Mark 14 one lists all three different groups. There's chief priests and scribes and elders. But the, the ones above it, uh, like Mark 11, only lists the scribes and the chief priests. And the Matthew... Where's the other one? Oh, um, Matthew 27, 3 through 4, it only lists the chief priests and the elders. But it, like, why differentiate out the, the different ones? So chief priests being ones who um, are, are holding the priesthood, right? So they have a bloodline, and they are um, safeguarding the ordinances and have the authority to administer those, etc., the scribes are a different set of people, right? They are um, ones who are interpreting the law and um, and and writing. They're uh, expert in the scriptures and the law of Moses. And then the elders that um, just like all of the different duties of an elder, right? Um, and to to minister and and protect and and serve. And here we have all three groups. So there's a betrayal, not only of one branch of the, the whole thing, but with all three branches uh, of the, the government, the political, the secular, and the ecclesiastical are, are forming against him. Um, all with, with secret combinations that are... Um, See, that's those dogs that are yeah. circling him, isn't it? Yeah. It's not just one group, but they're but they're forming packs. Uh, pact is in P A C T, and pack is in P A C K, um, to to surround and uh, encircle somebody and trap them. Mm -hmm. Um. So going to the the John. Uh, version on the next page, John 13, 20 through 21. Um, let me just read it and then ask my, my question. It says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. When Jesus had said, had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. So my question is, why was that? 
the trigger for Jesus to receive that prophecy or that revelation. Um, it it kind of makes it seem like he didn't know that before um, until he was saying that specific phrase, etc. Then he receives that insight and or it, at least he hadn't prophesied it to the to the others until then. But um, why was that the trigger for that knowledge? So he that receiveth um he that receiveth whomsoever i send receiveth me and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me so we have that um fairly recently as well as in like the school of the prophets right um we have a few different versions of that in in doctrine and covenants uh whoso receiveth me uh, i will present him before the father as well like different variations on that but um as soon as he's saying that, Jesus then uh, gives the, the prophecy, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Which is interesting, right? In light of like son of perdition status. So in order to become perdition, you have to sin against great light. And so if you receive Christ and Christ presents you before the father, and then you go against that, that's that's quite the betrayal right i mean you've said some some pretty great light there um which i had never um quite got the the depth that that was had before um judas actually betrayed him i'd always kind of wondered like is he really perdition i mean we've we've heard um different quotes and, and things right that that he is a, a son of perdition but i I don't know. I guess I just didn't really understand the full scope of it. But now in light of that John 13, 20 through 21, it makes a lot of sense. Um, because if he had received Christ and he had received um, the Father, then that is some some pretty great light to, to be going against. I can't even imagine <laughs> receiving that and, and, and betraying it. Somebody had to do it. Mm -hmm. you know? yeah. <clears throat> I, I like uh, the first Nephi one too. Um, it talks about uh, Zenic and, and Neum and, and Zenith. They're all prophets that we don't really know because they're from the brass plates. But they all had their um, insights. This made me kind of long for, like, I wish I had the brass plates. I could read that. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we'll have them someday. But, you know, so those, lot... those prophets were prophesying for a reason. And. Mm -hmm. I'm sure we'll have those those words. But we do have a lot about them because Nephi referred to them a lot. Mm -hmm. so we have what we need, I guess. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so you know, this is kind of one of the the downer lessons, right? <laughs> of of top yeah. of the to be, um, looking at at our Savior being betrayed uh, to to the utmost to his death and. Um, I have 
well, let's see. So as I was thinking about this, I'm like, oh, this is kind of a, a downer. Maybe we should put it with one of the other ones, right? Like the birth of or or something um, reflecting on, on the good. Um, but then I was thinking of President Nelson and his study of the topical guide, right? As he's going through this, what experiences would our prophet be having as he's reading this topical guide entry and coming to know Christ in, in a more fuller and, and deeper way? Um, how can, like the question on the top of page 64, says, though I claim devotion to the Savior, in what ways do I sometimes betray him? How can I increase my loyalty? Um, as we are entering into to covenant relationship with, with him as our, our bridegroom and, and us as his bride, why are we so fickle and uh, disloyal and betraying him at um, different little silly things, right? But that question, how can I increase my loyalty? I think is a, a huge question that I, I would invite to, to uh, contemplate this next week. How can I increase my loyalty to my savior, to my bridegroom, so that I am not betraying him for 30 pieces of silver and a secret combinations. You know, we those are pretty dramatic uh, examples, but um, in, in our lives, increasing our loyalty is everything. How can we stay on the covenant path and and keep enduring to the end with full faithfulness to our covenants? And uh, going back to this definition, um, to never deliver or expose him to an enemy by treachery or disloyalty. Um, to be faithful in guarding and maintaining and fulfilling our covenants with him. To fulfill a trust. And to uh, live up to the hopes and expectations of being loyal to him. To not reveal or disclose in violation of confidence um, our, our relationship with him. I don't know. It, it has such a deep personal resonance with me. I, I don't know. I'm bumbling over my words, but um, this chapter or this entry rather really impacted me um, the past couple of days, uh, reading these, focusing on them and making me long to be hundred percent faithful, hundred percent loyal all of the time, never to, to fail in my, um devotion to him so that i might not betray the savior i think that's so important for us to to learn and, and ponder on our individual levels but yeah any other comments or questions or anything yeah i think we've been talking so much we don't let other people talk much <laughs> um so 
just as a reminder for next week, we'll be doing uh, number 12, which is the birth of Jesus Christ. It'll be very much an upper. <laughs> yeah, that'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's quite a few fun little entries in that one. Yeah, well, <laughs> that kind of ended in a, a somber way, but I hopefully that we we all take this uh, betrayal and, and really apply the increase in our loyalty to fight and uh, defend our savior at all costs. Well, there's nothing else. We'll we'll go ahead and. Say good night, but uh, happy Sabbath. <laughs> we'll see you next week or whenever we catch it during the week for Hebrew or Isaiah or whatever we got. <laughs> All right. Well, good night, everyone. Have a great good night. Week. Good night. Hi, Josie.